So who is this chap we got coming on? Sorry, I meet you in mince pie. Mince pie. I haven't bought mince pies yet. I'll probably get some later. I didn't buy them. My son made them. Lovely, even better. That's my first mince pie of the year. Christmas can now start. This is Sheer Isolation. It's presented by Kieran Moore in Trowbridge and John Ponting in Cricklade. Hello one and all, welcome to Sheer Isolation. Thank you for joining us once again. Kieran, happy December to you. Happy December to you too, John. And, Actually, uh, John, it's a, it's a lie. It's not my first mince pie, it's about my sixth. So <laughs> You can't even eat mince pies on their own. You can't eat one singular mince pie. Who ever ate just one? No one. Yeah, I, I can do that. No, I, do, I, I can eat a single Maryland cookie and put the rest back in the pot. What? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I have kind of good weirdo. control. I have really bad control. <laughs> right. Except when I mean, it comes we've, to alcohol. We've got so into diet shaming already. This is disgraceful. Yeah, we have. Let's, let's right. move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anyone who's not familiar with us, the, what we should be doing over the next half hour is talking about local music, local venues. We have a guest on every week, and uh, Kieran, you have um, lined up uh, another chap for us to speak to this week. Who are we talking to? We're talking to Leander Morales, who is a... Warminster-based musician and promoter. Um, he runs a company called GM3. That's GM and then the number three. Obviously, a play on genetically modified to be free of um, GM3 music. Um, and he promotes at the Cheese and Grain and many other venues across the Southwest. He's a musician. Um, he's been a, a friend of mine for a very long time. I know him through the music. Um, and I'm, I, to be honest, I'm disappointed it took me so long to invite him onto the show. So he's our guest tonight. Sorry, I've still got plenty of people that I am thinking, oh, we, this, we really should invite them on. But yeah, we, there's no rushes. Just week by week, it'll be fine. We've got plenty of more people to talk to. We have. We have. All the time in the world. <laughs> right. You have been very excited about this track that we're going to play, which is ah. um, from the Biker Grove Fan Club. Now, who are the yes. band and why are you so excited about this tune? Ah, so there's a there's a the chap who sings and plays bass is a guy called Hugh, and Hugh lives in Brist- at Bath and has been stalwart of the Bath scene for a few years now. Um, I think I met him about five or six years ago, and he was in a band called Infrared Bear, who were like this um, mathy, weird type of signature sort of duo that made noise. They were absolutely fantastic. Um, he then went on, formed various loads of other local bands, again, all noisy, slightly atonally retentive, slightly pretentious, uh, mathy, just brilliant band. Um, and then he ended up in a metal band from Bristol called Foxjaw, um, and they played 2000 Trees would be two years ago now. Um, and he absolutely blew my mind. He was, they were just off the scale to the extent that after the festival, um, they regrouped and basically said, we can't carry on at this standard because we're going to just tear ourselves apart. So the, 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 the guy from Foxjord, like sacked half the band and he was one of the ones that got, who was asked to leave. Um, so he's formed a new band, a uh, three-piece indie rock band from Bath uh, called The Biker Grow Fan Club. Um, and it's like, um, all the sort of lovely indie underground that used to exist in the early noughties that I was really into, but updated for the modern generation. Um, I think they're fantastic. Um, Hugh is just a, an absolute talent. The whole band are just great people. Um, so this is their debut song. Uh, it's called Cake Shop. There's a man with my body, but not my head. It's not because I'm dressed up. He's inside my socks and in my dungarees But he's still got my heart and all my 
video because in the video they just get to eat cake and there's like a cake competition where they got to eat cake and then the three band members all like fight off against each other and they all lose but Hugh wins in the end. Can you get away with eating just a single slice of cake or do you have to go back for more? I have to go back for more but in the video Hugh has a whole trifle to eat he eats a whole trifle so I think I need to do a lot of prep to be able to take on that much cake. You said you were quite excited about your product placement this week. I go into the pound shop in Chippenham once a week, go pick up some super glue or whatever it is I need to pick up for work. And I always look, browse through their music section because um, they've got every, obviously everything's a pound, it's a pound shop. Um, and it's all supplied by Music Magpie. I didn't actually realise this until I bought a CD and you get a little Music Magpie thing in it. Anyway, this week I picked up myself the Mars Vulture, Volta, deloused in the Comatorium, which is the guys from At the Drive In. Do you remember At the Drive In? I do, yes, yeah. Yeah, so it's their sort of follow up band. It's noisy, it's only retent- retentive, pretentious noise art rock that I love. Um, but the point is, is that you don't know what is going to be in your local pound shop because they actually have some great stuff in there. Obviously, there's all the usual fodder from the 90s and early noughties, like Athlete and uh, Robbie Williams and all that kind of stuff. But there's also some gems in there. Like in Chippenham last week, they had Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, on CD. Time to introduce our guest then. So, um, Karen, I'll hand that bit over to you. Who are we talking to? So, Leander um, is as a musician and promoter based in Warminster. I've known him since 2004. Um, when I did my first gigs, um, I was introduced to him via a chap called Tom Pears, who used to do my gigs for me back in the early days. And Leander and I have been friends ever since. Um, he still promotes in the area, still does shows. He does some much bigger shows than I do. I still do Roots shows, you know, looking after small bands and small venues. And he kind of went, I'm going to go big. And he's got the most uh, ambitious grand scheme planned. He's always got something uh, boiling, and you know, a thought, an idea. Um, and he, he always goes beyond, you know, expectations. This is, you know, we're not just going to do a gig in a field. We're going to do a festival. See, I always think that you go a bit over the top with your ambition. So you're <laughs> saying that this guy, the Leander, is the next level up from you. I think he's calmer than me on like an individual basis. Like he'd sit down with a cup of tea with me and I'd be all over the place. But Leander would be calmer. And then we talk about ideas. And then he'll go off like, and I'll go, I'll try and rein him in. I'll be like, that's quite ambitious, Leander. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm capable of that. <laughs> we, we've ended so, up creating our own 
um, music promoter hierarchy then, because it's my job to rein you in. Yeah. And it's your job to like rein Leander in. That's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So. Wonderful. <laughs> Give us a quick rundown of, of your potted history. Everything from when you first played guitar to when you first promoted, when we first met, all that kind of stuff. Go. Okay, my history goes back a little further than that. I'm not going to give you 50 years of it, but um, because I'm, you know, I'm not as old as that. But my uh, my grandfather uh, was a merengue drummer in a Puerto Rican band back in uh, New York back in the 1940s, 50s, and uh, my mother was a folk musician touring the states and across Europe. Uh, doing the Greenwich Village uh, circuit and, uh, and working as a singer-songwriter. My father uh, in the 70s was in London working for Panda Records as a roadie and runner. So they met each other as uh, artist and roadie and they lived in a squat in, in London uh, where a lot of artists lived just near Canary Wharf. Um, they, had a, they were penniless, but they were kind of very anti-capitalistic in their thinking they were there for the art and the kind of bohemian thing that was going on at the time. So, uh, and then I, I was born and um, I just had lots of musical influence in my life. A lot of it I thank my teachers for and went from uh, kind of wanting to be an archaeologist to discovering that I absolutely love uh, music and what it was doing for my soul. And some fantastic bands in my teens got me through some serious mental health issues and some small traumas that had happened in my life. So I realised that there was an absolute passion for music. And so I went to become a musician, a singer-songwriter, and went through the whole ropes of uh, touring everywhere and playing support shows and uh, with some fantastic bands. I was very disheartened by the record industry and the publishing industry, and I'd had a couple of incidents as, a, as an unsigned artist. I'd also started playing a few clubs in London where a lot of singer-songwriters would gather and some of them went on to become absolutely fantastic writers and, and very successful. So uh, Amy MacDonald, there was an artist called Jem who came out in the, uh, the Nordic. But there are a lot of other artists that could have easily had number one hit singles or number one albums or a whole career surrounding music and the only thing that stopped them was uh, just how the industry works. And actually a lot of money stopped them. So the fact that you need to pay for radio pluggers and, and, yeah. and I kind of like got a little bit disheartened as a musician. I still continued my quest, but it's just very hard. I can see why there's a lot of artists out there that are going through uh, kind of episodes of uh, maybe depression, anxiety, and also just, um, it's kind of quite lonely on the road. And I was very lucky. I wasn't lonely. I had two children, a partner and everything else. So I was very, very lucky doing everything that I did. But I started repping for somebody, looking after a band, just to get some spare cash whilst I was earning uh, as a musician, self-employed musician. So I was looking after a couple of bands. Uh, one of them was a band called The Spin Doctors. There was just several acts where a guy would say, look, can you look after the show for me? This is how you do it. And I thought, this is great. In fact, actually, I, was, you know, I wasn't earning a great deal, but I was getting to know what was going on behind the scenes. And... And I thought, I, I could do this. And actually, I could do it maybe with bands that I like. And then I'm not interfering with what they're doing. And eventually, I took a punt at a band called Turin Breaks. And that was my first sort of, I'm going to try and get a gig with them. So I contacted them actually through a website back in about 2009. They hadn't really been touring. And I remember being in America and getting this email back from the drummer saying, yeah, we're, we're interested in doing this gig and I was so over the moon because I absolutely loved Sharon Breaks when they, when they launched back in early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. 
So I put on a gig and it sold out. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And this is my first big show. In fact, I think this is just a couple of years after, because you and I worked together on an event in Honey Street, which is my, yeah. my biggest show with local bands. You know, we had what, nearly a thousand people crammed into a little um, tent. <laughs> such, such an absolute buzz to pull all these people to a pub. But then the cheesing brain, that, that kind of manifested. I got, I think people say it's a, it, it can become a bit of a gambling addiction. Now, it can yeah. become a gambling addiction to do things like that. But maybe not if you're working as you're passionate about. So I started putting on more bands that I was really passionate about. And they all did really well for shows. So I, was, I put on Reef, who I absolutely loved as a teenager and watched on my pyramid stage at, at Glastonbury in the 90s. And then I thought it also gave me an opportunity to give local bands the support as well. So I was able to give like bands like The Operation, The Reef support. But I kind of felt, hey, I've got this and I can actually get my mates a gig. I can, I can give them a rider, which they've probably never experienced. I mean, I rarely ever got a rider as a musician, apart from when I played the Porticella Bar in Bath. And I used to do a regular spot there every couple of months. And the first time I played that, they gave me a crate of 24 beers, which obviously I'm only going to drink about one of them. Um, <laughs> they gave me a hundred quid. This is sort of mid-90s as well. A hundred pound crate of beer, some water, Coke, juice. And they didn't know who I was. They just had this massive respect for artists. I think it's Tom Maddicott who was running stuff at the time. And also... Um, there were a few people running different shows there. And I'm, if this goes out and somebody hears it, they're going to say, why didn't you mention me? Because I was the one who put the beer out for you. It gave me a taste of what you could get if you weren't making money. So I tried, and there may be an artist out there, I say, hey, Leander, you never gave me a beer when I played a gig, but I think I did. I think I've looked up <laughs> virtually all my artists that I've ever worked with, even if shows have come in at a loss, um, I've tried to make sure there's some beers or something there. And I haven't done it because I want them to say Leander's all right. I've done it because I actually understand how much of a painful journey it is. We've not been able to do shows for the last nine months now how how has that affected you did you have loads of stuff lined up that had to be cancelled i was working on around 25 shows i'd imagine the thing is when the pandemic hit i think many of us in the industry thought you know in a few months time we'll be back to normal fine we're just going to get through this little whatever it is a, a wave and it wasn't like that so i postponed everything for about three months and then i postponed everything for three months again into the autumn and then i thought I say I thought, we thought as a collective, nothing's, nothing's happening, you know. So let's actually look at around Easter time to be quite realistic. I was really researching quite a lot about the pandemic because of the social media, everything that was going across social media, sending mixed messages, yeah. conspiracy theories. And, and whilst we're all kind of, I say suffering, we're not suffering. People in India are suffering, walking thousands of miles barefoot, but in our kind of first world country where I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, what, why is this coming to a stop? And when it became apparent in my own head, we need to look after people we don't know. That we have a moral responsibility as humans to look after people we don't know. So understanding that potentially if I put on a gig and someone yeah. walks away and infects two people in the chain and that person dies, even though I may never know about it, I could have stopped it happening and I could stop it happening by being responsible. And I just kept writing stuff off. And I've been a bit apprehensive about these social distance gigs, but at the same time, I mean, Cheese and Grain's a fine example, and Comedia. 
of places that have set up these fantastic COVID compliant environments. Venues are going to go under if something doesn't happen. Is there a way to do it safely? And as adults, can we then make informed decisions on how we behave? You know, the sort of clothing we wear, how close we get to people. Are we going into politics here, Kieran? Are we going to go into politics? Because no, we're not. We we're could not, have done not. this. We could have done this yeah. through just people understanding and respecting the industry to such a level yeah. that the funding was there. One point five seven billion is a trickle of what was needed to prop up thousands, hundreds of thousands of artists, venues and infrastructure that keeps the industry together that everyone benefits from. So if the funding was there, if the respect was given to us, we could have just shelved it for 18 months. Yeah, yeah. And now we're all kind of looking to next year because I'm one of the, uh, as much as I've, I, I've got a day job, um, you know, I was listening to Rishi Sunak 10 years before he suggested I should go and get a day job because... <laughs> Most musicians and artists, people in the industry, have got day jobs. That's what they missed the trick. You know, a lot of people do work as a musician, but then work as a car mechanic as well. There's this grand illusion that there's these scrounging artists out there that are kind yeah. of like, we can only play a guitar, so what can we do? And so it's a complete illusion, and it really undermines years and years of grafting for a lot of people. People like Phil Cooper, who's worked extremely hard, actually been a director of a company and hung it up to go out on the road and do something extremely brave to then be seen by the government and lots of other people as being like, somebody just wants to sponge a fiver off of universal yeah. credit. It's like, go and get yourself a, a skill or a qualification. Like you say, Phil already was a Absolutely. computer programmer, incredibly bright and switched on and talented. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. Yeah, so going, going forward, I don't know. I think, I think the thing is, is, I've got to the point of saying, I don't know. I'm going to reschedule shows. I'm going to assess the situation. We now have a massive hurdle of vaccine discussions going on. Um, I was only speaking to a venue owner the other day and I said, look, do, you know, they're going to be vaccinating. <laughs> they're going to be vaccinating the vulnerable and older people. So do we put on lots of 60s bands because they're going to be the first people that can go out? You know, do you have something that kind of aligns with the people that are, are, are jumping to get the vaccine? So we can say, right, we can entertain that group of people. And eventually, you know, we've trickled down to the fact that we can entertain the world once again. Is there anything definitely due to say in June? Have you got any concrete plans? I should have really had a long list out in front of me. You know, I would I'd just say to go and check out some venue websites, for instance, the Cheese and Grain have got a fantastic number of acts uh, performing there. I'm working on a show with Ed Byrne. Um, oh, cool. late March and uh, if we're unable to have that show taking place we'll just move it a few more months ahead. I was speaking to Rob about co-promotion we're working on for next October with the Electric Spring Circus. About eight or nine shows with Martin Kemp which have been successfully rescheduled and closer to home in Melksham I'm working with a, a fantastic tribute called Complete Madness who I really enjoy. It's happening at the beginning of, I say beginning of next year, sort of April time next year. What are you doing with your music at the moment? I made a Christmas film, have you not seen it? No. Go to Christmas in Westbury, Facebook, and I worked on a community project featuring music, dance and film with a scripted screenplay. Um, and it's called Christmas in Westbury. And, you know, Westbury's like kind of like one of the underdog towns in the area, you know, it's a yeah, big, big short time. change for the arts. I know we've got to wrap up, but if you get a chance, go there. It's a bit, it's a bit of a ridiculously silly, but very, very community spirited film uh, with lots of brilliant music, including Phil Cooper, Kirsty Clinch. Clayhill Stompers. And that's it. Plug, plug, plug. So, Leander, did you pick a track for us? 
Well, I did, but it seems that you've already chosen Bad Sounds. And uh, can I just say, Bad Sounds should have been number one in the UK album charts. So let's, uh, let's not go there. <laughs> um, I'm going to choose Law and Order by Ulysses, if you haven't done it, Ooh. just because uh, they've got a fantastic video that goes with it. And uh, I have big respect for Ulysses. They're another band that I think, wow, come on, guys. Why aren't they famous? I mean, I they don't need I... to be famous, but, you know. I'll tell you why, Leander, because I only put them on once. That's the problem. Ah, got to put them on more, mate. So entertaining. track was Law and Order by a band called Ulysses. I'm surprised we haven't played Ulysses before. I thought we had. 
No, they're one of those bands that, has, for me, have always been, always been part of the scene, always been there. But um, as I said in the interview, I didn't actually, I've never only put them on once. I don't know why we've never really worked with them more, but um, they are really, really great bands. Slightly bluesy, got that blues um, sort of solid riffy thing going on. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for them. Time for us to look at a little bit of a news then. And uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask you, Kieran, is just about the new restrictions, because we are now, we've now gone from the national lockdown into... Tier two for most of our um, listeners, but uh, tier three for the guys out Bristol way. For, for tier three, venues are shut. They, they can't do anything. But what about uh, for the guys in tier two? What are you, what are you able to do now? So tier two now means, um, and it's from the work of MVT Music Venue Trust, they were able to clarify that tier two venues, so ticketed events are allowed to go ahead without a meal, i.e. pubs and restaurants can open and serve food and you can watch a show if they're in the pub that's fine Um, but if you are a dedicated live music venue as long as you are a ticketed event and they can do track and trace they know exactly who everybody is you can serve alcohol which means you can go back to doing socially distanced shows now this isn't clear-cut mean yay venues can open um comedian in bath is a really good example of a venue who have not opened despite being in tier two and the reason for that is is they still have to order in a certain amount of stock etc and they were originally told Tier two gig venues can't open, so they didn't plan to be open. MVT was then managed to able to turn that overturn that, but by that point they weren't able to get, buy in their you know their food and their assets to, to deliver that, so they've decided not to open at all. Some venues are able to adapt. Deborah Barnett, who runs the Southgate Intervisors, which is a wonderful little acoustic music venue, she was talking about it on Facebook, complaining about the fact that she couldn't do gigs, and I said to her, Deborah, very simple, ticket your pub. And you make every ticket uh, is your first beer. It's basically a ticket for your beer. Okay, say it costs a fiver, your pint costs four quid. Every, all the leftover money can go in a pot and pay the band. And that way you can be a ticketed venue selling tickets for a legitimate music experience and boom, everybody's safe and above board then. So I don't know if she's doing that, but I would really encourage any pub that does music to sell tickets to their events and that ticket price covers the first pint. And that way your punt is actually buying the pint and everybody's happy, whoever was above board. There's my loophole. And uh, gov.uk for official coronavirus advice if you're a landlord. I suggest you read up and interpret and don't believe everything you hear from Kieran. It's absolutely true, actually. Interpretation is everything. Because if you can you ju- if you can jump through the hoops and fill the boxes and the forms and say, that's what I, you know, this is my interpretation of it. And you can legitimately believe that and, and believe that you can prove that's what you were intending. I'm sure there are ways of mitigating everything. But yeah, you've got to really want it. Okay, if anybody wants to get in touch, the email address is sheerisolation at gmail.com. Um, send us any tracks. If you've got any new videos coming out, then do send them our way. We do love to have a listen. And uh, at that point, I think we're going to wrap up for the week. Right, I'll leave it be uh, that then, Kieran. So uh, thank you for your time as always. Goodbye. Next week. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>